welcome to the Books from the Basement podcast, episode 10. I'm Amy Thorakin. And I'm Lisa Burkett. And this podcast is uh, where Lisa and I discuss books from our favorite series we read growing up in the 1970s and 80s. Um, The first series that we chose to look at is Trixie Belden. And in this episode, we are reading the first half of The Mystery in Arizona. And that is book number six in the series. It is the last book written by the original author, Julie Campbell. She wrote it in 1958. I can't believe we're on episode 10. I can't either. (laughs) I had to look at my notes. I was like, that can't be the right number, but I think we are. Nuts. So um, do we have any housekeeping issues today? I, you mean in my dusting follow-up and correct segment that Uh you're not going to learn how to say, so we're just (laughs) going to say two different things. Is that what you're talking about? I am. Okay, I just have a couple of things to follow up on from last time. Kind of from the mystery off Glen Road. Uh, from the mystery off Glen Road. <laughs> Correct. I can't keep the book straight anymore. Okay, so we talked about Ben Riker having his junior license. Yes, and then in yours it was changed to just driver's license, mm-hmm. right? So I couldn't find any information on. In the 1950s in New York, what a junior license would be, but they still have something called a junior license. So you can drive a motor vehicle between 5 a.m. and 9 p.m. with certain exceptions. So do you, should I read these or no? Sure. Okay. Junior licensees may drive after hours for work or school purposes, but must hold valid documentation. Junior licensees may drive after hours under the supervision of a parent or guardian. In New York City, junior license holders are not permitted to drive. That's probably for the best. In Nassau and Suffolk counties, junior license holders may drive only to and from school or from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. to work or when supervised by a parent, guardian, or driving instructor. That doesn't really seem any different than the other three put together. Yeah. Uh, junior licensees may not transport more than one non-family member passenger under 21 years old unless supervised by a parent guardian or driver's education instructor. And passengers must always be properly restrained by a safety belt, <laughs> which is the law anyway. So uh, it sounds to me like Ben Riker just had a provisional license, which is still yes. called a junior license. The question is, why was it changed just to make him seem more capable or I guess so he can meet the rules. He has to be, have a regular license because of the work he's doing. Cause yeah. he would probably be driving at night. He might not be doing these other things. He had die with him. <laughs> just die. That would be okay. Apparently he can have one. So that was that okay. nothing too exciting. And then we talked about, the term insane asylum, (laughs) insane (laughs) asylum. So I wanted to see if I could find out when that changed. So in Wikipedia, the first thing they call it is a lunatic asylum. So we've gotten better than that. Insane asylum is probably better than a lunatic asylum, but basically they're bad places (laughs) up until (laughs) more recently. The one thing I did find out that, was oh there was a lunacy act of 1845 where you can commit people 
And then in the 18th to the early 20th century, would be early 1900s, women were sometimes institutionalized due to their opinions, their unruliness, and their their inability to be controlled properly by a primarily male-dominated culture. Well, that's nice. So don't say what you think or you might end up in the lunatic asylum. So yeah. So basically, in the 50s and 60s, they started moving toward the insane asylum. No, (laughs) (laughs) no. (laughs) Away from that toward the psychiatric hospital. And they released a bunch of people into society that were being held in these insane asylums, I guess. And then it became more of a treatment model. So remind me, did all of the editions say insane asylum or did it change? I, in the- I don't know. Okay. That would be a good question for me to follow up on next week. <laughs> we'll spend three episodes talking about insane asylums. Oh, here. Okay. So between 1955 and 1994, roughly 487,000 mentally ill patients were discharged from state hospitals. Mm. And then that's when the state's closed most of their hospitals wow yeah and then they all became homeless yeah off their meds yep off their meds they couldn't afford meds Two hundred thousand of those who suffer from schizophrenia depression or bipolar disorder are homeless that's one third of the total homeless population yeah that makes sense it would be hard to be schizophrenic and hold down a job and pay your rent on time and yep and then more than three hundred and fifty thousand are in jails and prisons so they let the people out of these medical facilities and then they were just supposed to then they were just supposed to fend for themselves. So they either ended up homeless on the streets, unmedicated or in jail. Something. Yeah, because now, I mean, it's almost impossible to find a psychiatric bed. They're just right. And and to stay to, you know, you're not, certainly not going to live there. You're going to no, it's not. Get like in, a, yep. Yep. Get get admitted, get stabilized and then. Okay, you're stable. Bye. Yeah, send you out. And then it's just a cycle. Yeah, there's no state hospital where people live, which it doesn't sound like they were the greatest places anyway. Right. But you'd think they could come up with a good, healthy environment for people who have mental illness to live in. How hard can that be? Yeah. Priorities, people. Priorities. Okay, well, that's all I have for my follow-ups. Okay. There weren't really too many to That's good. I have one other one, but it's going to come at the end when I do my ender. Okay. So I am reading 1977 edition, 95 cent copy. Okay. And mine was owned by many, many a girl. (laughs) There's like four names written in it. Who was it owned by? It was owned by Troy Hinricks, Abbott, Simang, <laughs> All sorts of interesting ones, and it was a, a in a library ah. of not of like a made up library with its own oh, little. Fun! I love when I get books like that. I, know. I got one little, where a little girl had written, card. or I guess it could have been. No, I think she signed it. Um, had written a book review <laughs> on Aww. a Nancy Drew book. It was very cute. I kept it in there. So <laughs> I read the 1977 version of the oval paperback and mine was a dollar 50 so sometimes we notice differences when that happens so i kind of marked some stuff that maybe 
There's a difference. Me too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And mine, oh, I'm sorry. Mine was owned by Susie Stevens. Oh, Susie. Mm-hmm. Little Susie who wrote her name in cursive. And the mm. I has a circle around it at the top instead of a dot. Right. I re- feel like I remember it doing oh. that was a cool thing. Oh, here, Susie. Susie Stevens, Mrs. Brooks, 5A, and then a phone number with only seven digits. <laughs> I was going to say, we let's give her a call. <laughs> Pretty sure she doesn't live there. And what would the area code be? Okay. Okay. Should we start? Let's. What were your overall opinions of this book? Well, <laughs> I didn't mind it so much. <laughs> How about you? I, <laughs> Why do you ask? <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> no, I did not like this book at all. It was hard to read again. And, and even again. harder to then do chapter notes. <laughs> all right. Well, keep that but in I, mind as that that's... Uh, Yes, the lens that the lens through which you are looking at the story. Okay. I like that it's Julie Campbell's last book because I this time through I really paid more attention to, you know, this is the person that created these characters. How is she portraying them because it just veers off so wildly in later books. Do you think she knew when she was writing this that she wasn't going to write another one or do you think she thought she knew this was it? I couldn't really tell by the writing, so. Right. I Do we remember? Probably not. Like, for, so this was written in 58. And th- does it skip a few years till book number seven? I think so. Written. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. But um, I was just curious if they kind of gave it a rest at. Oh, let's see. 1958 was the original. Yeah. And then the next original date is 1961. Okay. So there was three years in between. Yeah. And these had two That's years in between each one. Yeah. I She probably was done. I mean, she, she started 10 years of this, you know? Yeah. That's weird that it's six and 10 years. And then the rest are just kind of pumped out one a year, sometimes two. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm paying more attention to what Trixie's personality is and what Honey's personality is because um, they, some some of the books, they kind of become caricatures of themselves later. Right. Um, so I just kind of, kind of focused on that. See how it that. changes. Yeah. Good idea. Okay. So I'm going to muddle through and have fun with it. Let's have fun. we do. Okay. It's Friday in December sometime. Chapter one, an invitation. Trixie and Honey are at school where Trixie tells Honey she's failing math and English. A month ago, Di's Uncle Monty had invited the BWGs to spend the Christmas holiday at his ranch in Arizona. And because of her failing grades, Trixie worries that her parents won't allow her to go. Okay, so they go to the cafeteria. Di tells them there's been no word from Uncle Monty. Mark joins them and harasses Trixie about her grades. Jim and Brian have jobs in the cafeteria. The BWGs have a quick bevy, that I heard that <laughs> word in, slash meeting. Sai's mother calls on the kitchen extension, and Uncle Monty has extended the invitation, and the BWGs are to fly to Arizona on Monday. Wowza. 
I liked how the chapter, the whole book begins with Trixie clutched her short blonde <laughs> curls with both hands. <laughs> yes, she does. That's the sign for the character being extremely agitated. Yeah, she's always like dropping to her knees and clutching her hair. and Yeah. It's very convenient that Honey... And the Wheelers spent a summer touring the state of Arizona in a trailer. So she knows all about dude ranches. I I just, I don't see them as a family that even really takes vacations together. That's a puzzle. So everyone but Di knows a lot about Arizona. Yes, I thought that was very convenient also that Trixie had done research for a theme on Arizona. And then again, writes another... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're in New York. It's not like they're in Arizona or Mexico. California California. here, close by. Mm -hmm. Okay. Trixie, he thinks she won't be able to go. And then Honey's not going to go. And Di won't go because it won't be any fun. And the boys will feel the same way. Yeah. Even if we do get invited, nobody will want to accept. Although we know that that's probably not true for Mart. Okay, and then we see that Jim and Brian have new jobs in the cafeteria. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what happened to the handyman business. Do you th- and do you think they get paid being in high school and working at lunch in the cafeteria? <laughs> Is that a paid position or a volunteer? I don't know. We only had adults serving us food. I wonder why they put that little fact in there. Just it's a strange kind of little bit of information that didn't need to be there. They could all just have been having lunch together. Right. Maybe not because Jim is the one who comes out to tell Di she has a phone call. So maybe he needed to be in the kitchen to receive that phone call. (laughs) In the kitchen where there's always a phone for students, parents to call them on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yes so i also thought it was interesting that the guidance counselor came to the belden's house to tell to talk about trixie's yeah i i noticed that too it's like what such personal service i think i would have had an aneurysm if my guidance counselor all of a sudden just drove up to my house without warning do you think she called first okay Oh, it when they talk about her having problems doing her homework and that sort of thing, it sounds like she has ADD. Instead of concentrating on the test before you, you chew on the eraser on your pencil and gaze out the window or off into space. And how she yeah. had so many problems doing her homework in Arizona, which we'll mm-hmm. get to. It just seems like she can't focus. And maybe that's why she's not doing so well in school. Yeah, because her problems are making silly mistakes in addition, and then the whole problem goes wrong. I don't know. I just got that feeling a lot in this book. Like, maybe her problem isn't that she's not smart, because she figures out all these things, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. she's a smart girl, but she just can't focus. And I don't even think it's like, at first, they kind of made it seem like, oh, because she's always thinking of a mystery, or she's always thinking that people are suspicious and all of that and that's why she can't focus but i think in this book it really kind of illuminates that maybe that's she just has a problem focusing mm-hmm. i think you're right yeah uh was it just in the last book that die made 
her first appearance or she's been in? She was in the fourth book. She was in Mysterious Visitor because that was the book that made the appearance in the gatehouse mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, But I don't remember if she was in the last book at all. Glenn Road. (laughs) I know it's, it's hard Uh, to keep them straight. I swear. I thought when we went through these a second time that we would start. Oh, she was because remember she pretended to like Ben. Right. Yes. So she okay. wasn't Glenn Rowe. Uh, okay. The, the reason Glenn that Rowe. I asked is that in this one, um, Mart explodes at her and calls her dopey. Yeah. He's like, for Pete's sake, Mart exploded. Single track isn't a word dopey. It's a phrase. And she's not offended at all. Whereas when, when she first came on the scene, right. every time Mart said, <laughs> looked sideways at her, she would she burst into tears away. and run out of the room. He... In this book, especially, is just very mean. He's just a very mean person. Yeah. They're all kind of mean. It makes me wonder if Julie Campbell really wrote this one almost. Because, (laughs) yeah, I mean, she always had Marta and Mart bugging Trixie, but then they would find a way to, like, connect and help each other. Right, right. He kind of had her back at the the end. Huh. Interesting. What do you Um, think? Oh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that. Trixie talks about Jim starting the school he plans to have for orphans and Di made her eyes even wider. What kind of school is he going to have? Like she has never heard of this. No, because later it says that she did talk to him about it, but she didn't know. She thought it was for something else. Okay. So it comes back at because I had that originally marked and then I had to go back and change it because she does later say, Oh, right there. It's right there. So she knew he was going to have a school of his own, but she thought it was just going to be for orphan boys. So did we. It changes every book. (laughs) (laughs) So now he's just going to have. It changes. I don't know. And it changes constantly. It's orphans and then it's homeless and then it's um, troubled, troubled, troubled. Yes. And all kinds of things. Okay. Mart throws up his hands and discuss how dumb can you women get? What was this nice nightmarish problem anyway? And then honey giggles. I yeah, just, so he, I, I guess he gets away with it because they don't seem to care. I don't know. All right, let's move on to chapter two, unless you have something else. Nope. Let's move on. Okay. Chapter two, the big question. Now we know that they're going to go to Arizona on Monday, but Christmas break doesn't start until the next Friday. Apparently, there is an ancient Mexican Christmas rite called La Posada, which will take place on Tuesday evening that Uncle Monty wants them to attend. Also, Mr. Lynch is flying to the coast on Monday and and will be able to fly with them to Tucson on the way. Mr. Lynch is already buying the tickets and can't be stopped. (laughs) (laughs) The parents all agree that it will be educational and give permission for them to miss school. Even Trixie. Although Trixie has to be tutored by Jim and Brian while in Arizona. Miss Trask will take Honey and Trixie shopping for clothes and Mr. Wheeler will pay. Okay. Uh, I was confused as to which it was because it seemed like first they made it sound like they had to go Monday because of La Posada. But then Di said she couldn't go unless Mr. Lynch could fly out with them. Mm -hmm. And 
So it sounded like that's why they had to go on Monday. Which that reason doesn't make a lot of sense to me because Mm -hmm. I don't think from the beginning they were planning on having the kids miss a week of school. (laughs) Right. Because they would have talked about that already. It wouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. So I don't know why they put that in there. If they thought they were going to, yeah. Because if they thought they were going to go later, then the timing wouldn't be right. So. Yeah, it's weird because she's like, mother said I could go. And she was so sure your parents would let you all go on Monday, too, that she's telephoning dad right now to have him make the plane reservation. So, like, it's putting the cart before the horse. Right. It's also, I mean, kind of hit on this a little bit in in the last chapter, but this whole thing about the phone ringing into the kitchen. (laughs) How do you think that happened? (laughs) (laughs) Was she she transferred to the kitchen from the principal's Yeah, did she call the school and say, I must speak with my daughter? Yes. Where is she? And they looked up her schedule and said, oh, she's at lunch. Let's call. Call the kitchen. We'll transfer you to the kitchen. Where surely... The lunch ladies will be know who Di is. <laughs> Luckily, Jim apparently answered the phone or something. Maybe that's part of his cafeteria duties. <laughs> Secretary. Answer, answer the phone. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then we have this whole thing that Mart wasn't doing well in algebra, but he allowed, he stayed up and had Brian tutor him. And then Trixie kind of says, oh, why didn't I think of that? Maybe if Brian had offered... <laughs> She would have done it. Right. She didn't ask. She didn't ask and he didn't offer, even though he knows that, you know, she has a hard time with these subjects. But yet he's tutoring Mart because Mart asked him. That is the way they make it sound. (laughs) It's just not fair to Trixie. Okay. They can't stop Mr. Lynch from making those reservations. If he doesn't make the reservations today, it will be too late, die whales. The opportunity never arose for Trixie to tell Di <laughs> to telephone her father and tell him not to reserve a ticket for her. Is that I thought she was pretty clear that she doesn't think she's going to be able to go. She was, but Di wasn't listening. Trixie just happens to be writing a theme before the mid-years, and she's picked the subject as the Navajo Indians. Even though she wrote an entire theme on Arizona last yeah. year, it's so fascinated her that she wanted to dive deeper, perhaps, into the Navajo and if I remember correctly, although I'm not sure how time is passing here in Trixie Land, didn't she know all of, I thought they knew all about Arizona in another book too. It does get mentioned. They all had done reports and Jim was like, oh, I did a report or I know about that too. Yeah. Well, is that sound totally, familiar? I, it's very familiar, but it's I'm not coming to the forefront of my brain. I will have that in my segment next week (laughs) as a follow-up prior Arizona or if anyone wants to post it Mart I just put an ugh (laughs) he's talking he was just so it wasn't even big words this time but it was just so obnoxiously obnoxious yes yeah it wasn't it wasn't the big words this time right Bobby's having a good day with his neurological deficit He can say, guess what? I can write a letter. I can write over the whole paper and draw pictures on it, too. There's nothing wrong with that sentence. No, there is nothing wrong with that sentence. So he's having a good day. And he's in first grade, which they make it sound like that has made a difference. But in the last book, he also would have been in first grade when he couldn't say help. Yes. 
He does. He can't say skyscrapers here. He says sky stapers. Okay, that could just be. Uh, I don't know. It, I don't know it, anymore. <laughs> My goal was to be a little less hard on Bobby in this book, which was very easy because he was only in one chapter. I think maybe two. Yeah. Then he'd write he, later. He contacts them via mail. A letter. I thought Instead they would try. They, they, not bring, they bring it. They bring in a stand-in for him, so it's okay. <laughs> Why do I have to do that? Okay. So everyone gets to go and then Miss Trask is going to take them shopping and go into Ms. Peekskill, which I thought was interesting because usually they go to White Plains. In Peekskill, there's a big store. They can all buy Dude Branch clothes. Does sound like it was fancy stuff. Trixie donned her beautifully decorated cowboy boots and began to practice walking well, in high heels. Actually, the dude ranches in Arizona and on the West Coast attracted the East Coast wealthy people to come and stay for months and seasons. And so, you know, it was maybe a lucrative business to have some of those clothes for them. to. Yes, because, yes, they probably have a little, it's probably like a boutique. That's a big boutique. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Right. Okay. You're right, though, because she's going to buy two pretty dresses. Maybe they're going to more than one store. Two pretty frocks, mine says. Oh, okay. That's a difference. Mine says dresses. Ah. Mm -hmm. Frock is a word I have not heard in some time. (laughs) Probably because it's from the 50s. Honey says, Daddy has given me a big check so we can buy everything we need. So uh, I guess the boys don't get anything <laughs> they didn't not. go shopping or have anything they don't to do need, with the they don't check. need two pretty frocks do they have but, boots but I thought Bri- yeah i know like boots and sun <laughs> brian's boots were too small when they tried to hide the diamond in them they yeah, talked about how his boots were too small very true so, and it hasn't been christmas yet so i don't know where they're yeah. gonna i bet they have to wear boots out west but that's a rule huh. yeah still, they, yeah with all the rattlesnakes and i'm still bitter about that boot thing. Yes, you are. Okay. <laughs> and here we go. There's a blizzard and Bobby, a lizard, a lizard. I adore lizards. So. Can't talk. Mm-mm. Within, I don't know. Was that a day? That was hours. later. Well, well, I don't know. But That's, I, yeah. Are, are, do you, the did day. we have a new day or is day. it the same day? Oh. Well, going, it's the next day. It's oh. supposed to be Sunday because. Yes. Okay. So I didn't. It split again, so I never finished my chapter. <laughs> Can I finish my chapter two? You need notes? a new a new documentation method. I was going to highlight and then I forgot. But I will I wasn't I had noticed that you didn't talk about the lizard. <laughs> highlight for next time. Because I did think about doing it. I have the next timing thing I have Saturday through Sunday because okay. they don't really break it down. Right. And that she takes the girls shopping. There's a blizzard and Trixie is sure their flight will be canceled. That's all I right. have. Okay. Chapter three is called All Aboard. The snow has stopped and they head for the airport. On the plane, the stewardess slash flight attendant is an Apache Indian. She gives Trixie and Di a lesson about being a stewardess, history mm-hmm. of Arizona, the history of Tucson Indians, Mexicans, and cowboys. And Honey fills Trixie and Di in on dude ranches and desert wildlife. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I just remembered 
where the Arizona stuff was from. It was from the mysterious visitor because fake Uncle Monty was pretending to be from Arizona. And he had facts wrong because remember, they knew about how it was formed. And he had said he'd been there when it was formed and all of that. That's what it's from. Yes, you're right. Just because I like to cross things off my list so I don't have to follow up next week on that. Okay. Okay. Are are you done with your rundown? Yes. Uh, Uh, Let me make sure. Yes. (laughs) Make sure there isn't a split day. And that was, that goes from page 36 to page 50. And literally what you said is what happened. Okay. This was a tough chapter to read. And I think that I can speak for both of us when I say this second time through that we skimmed a lot of pages. I am not as interested in, uh, yes, I prefer not to talk about it. I would like to point out, see, Mart, at the this is uh, like right at the beginning of the chapter, mm-hmm. before they're even on the airplane. He says, strike the teepee, squaw. We hit the trail for the airport in half an hour. And Mine says that as well. Right. And mine's like the $1977.50 version. Hold on. I'm going to look it up. Are you looking at the, the 80s version? Mm-hmm. Strike the teepee, squaw. Yeah, I feel like in this one, they say a lot of squaw and it never gets corrected. Why do you think that is? Because in other books, the squaws get corrected later. Honestly, I have no idea because it's no less racist. And that's obviously why they changed them the last time. Do you think it's because they're going to Arizona where there are Indians and they think it's... (laughs) Okay. It's like appropriate for them to be making. I think that makes jokes. it even. I actually think that makes <laughs> it even more racist. <laughs> so I'm don't. I mean, I think that may be the reason, but I think that makes it much worse that they're actually going to be around indigenous people and using the terms like squaw <laughs> and TP. You have a point. Mm-hmm. We will carefully look for that. Um, um, also, I'm sorry. Can I just do this one thing? Cause I had can, and I think it's going to be what I was going to say. Is so. it the flapjacks? It is. I was going to okay. read it and then ask you what you thought. I thought that I did a little bit of research on the differences between flapjacks and pancakes. Well, let's let me, I'll read the quote just so people have know what we're talking about because they go downstairs and Blueberry pancakes for breakfast, Mrs. Belden announced cheerfully. It's the nearest I could get to flapjacks. What is she talking about? In the United States, flapjacks and pancakes are, for the most part, used interchangeably. They're both a type of round, thin cake fried on both sides with common ingredients. So it's like basically what we would think of as pancakes or flapjacks. They're also known as griddle cakes and hot cakes. So now we know all three of those are the same. (laughs) However, in the UK, flapjacks are an oat-filled sweet granola bar that's tray-baked. And a pancake is a flat round cake that's fried on both sides. So pancakes in the UK are often thinner than the US version. So they're probably, and they're rolled up. So it's basically more like a crepe. Yeah. So what are they, is she saying that? Is she saying, she makes it sound like there's a difference. But basically the difference is the British and the American versions. Not the US versus West Coast. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. 
But I think that that's what they're trying to allude to. Like a cowboy would make flapjacks. Yes. But why she would act like she would make them differently in New York or that it would be different in Arizona. I don't know. I did research and I still don't know the answer. (laughs) Except the one I gave you. All right. But hot cakes, griddle cakes, pancakes, and flapjacks are all the same thing, according to that research <laughs> from, I don't know where it's from. It doesn't really matter. Okay. Uh, we have one last Bobby interaction. Uh, he's having problems again today. He is. I've cited to go to. I have to go. And then Mr. Belden, instead of correcting him and helping, he repeats it. He says, half to. Yeah. All right. Let's leave Bobby behind and get on the plane with the BWGs and talk about the flight crew. Let's. I, if I were on an airplane flying someplace and the flight attendant came over, introduced herself and sat down next to me, <laughs> I would be a little, I find that a little unnerving. And also... She, her introduction is, I'm a full-blooded Apache Indian. Barbara Slater is my American name, and I was educated in public schools. (laughs) And that is important because my Indian name is too long to remember. So won't you please just call me Babs? Okay, that's not because your Indian name is too long to remember, because your American name is Barbara, which is what Babs is short for. Right. And at least she could have said my Indian name is... Right. You don't have to remember it, though. Call me. But everyone calls me Babs or something. (sighs) And then Di says she looks divine and that she wants to get a job as an airline hostess, which I don't know if I've ever heard that term before. I know. And her answer is this particular airline hires only full blooded Indian girls for the New York to Tucson run. (laughs) How do they prove that exactly? And why? Where are your papers? That's it's. It's interesting. It's it's almost like the airline is doing it for like commercialization of the East Coast people going to the dude ranches. Let's start your experience right now when you get on the plane to go to Tucson. Start Indians. But Indians and dude ranches, and I'm not even going to call them Indians because that's just not even appropriate. Indigenous people and dude ranches are not, they're not related one is a culture and one is a resort. <laughs> it's this whole, like, oh, it's all the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. That is why. I just, and it, you would think the whole airline then would be called something like Apache Airline or something. <laughs> okay, then there's pages and pages yeah, I and wrote- pages and pages that I just wrote in the book. Quite the history lesson. I put skip. Skip. <laughs> When Di asked, can you give us any helpful hints, I said, please don't ask her that. Well, Babs began. Yeah. Can we just skip this? Because I don't care. Yes. Let's skip to where she's going to feed them lunch and Honey asks if they could help. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That is Um, the next thing I have highlighted. And Also, I'm sorry, were there other passengers on this plane? (laughs) There were some. She said it was quite empty and they could move around and change their seats once the flight started because so many people canceled. But I'm sure there were some. Well, didn't they want drinks and (laughs) things that a stewardess would do? Yes. 
slash flight attendant slash flight attendant drinks peanuts you know stuff that you used to get on an airplane that no longer seems to be water (laughs) that now seems to be a la carte where you have to pay for it okay yes she's got to go to her little galley now die says dreamily she is my very own ideal i mean it i'm going to be a stewardess someday and then trixie says you'll never be that smart yeah trixie sniffed like like kind of that's a (laughs) scoffing thing right like yeah and then she counters it with how much babs knows but she should never they're not going to hire her for that flight because she's not a full-blooded indian history of arizona <laughs> then in that case she yes in that case she does not need to know that so it doesn't really matter how smart she is or isn't you could also just take that sentence off and be and say something like wow well you'll have to really learn a lot about arizona but it doesn't make sense because she is not a Navajo. Is she an Apache or a Navajo? Oh, well. Babs? Yeah. <laughs> she's she's a, an Apache. She's an Apache. Okay. So, sorry, die. Then Honey starts talking about dude ranch. Have you ever been to a dude ranch? No, I have not. I have. In and Arizona? Mm, no, it was in the Ozarks in Missouri. <laughs> or Arkansas. And it was very much how they describe it. It wasn't as nice. Was this Di who says this? No, Trixie. She doesn't understand what elevation has to do with climate. I just put, really? That's pretty basic. How can she not know that? That it's colder. The higher you get, it's colder. <laughs> Mountains have snow. it's colder up there jim has been studying up on arizona ever since he inherited that money from his uncle he's seriously thinking seriously of having the boys school in arizona Mm -hmm. i don't know if that would be the best place for him i think that the first thing he should have looked at was how it's 114 degrees every day for like six months of the year but in northern arizona the climate's very different because there are mountains up by like uh flagstaff and there are i I was in flagstaff once and it snowed i was in flagstaff too and people were skiing there are nice mountainy places if he's thinking about that which is really like where wilderness schools are typically and here comes Mart. Okay. <laughs> Let's go to chapter four. <laughs> here comes Mart snorting with der- derisive, derisive laughter. Yeah, derisive. Because they were starting to talk about uh, He's tarantulas yes. and rattlesnakes. And, and here he comes. Here he comes to correct their. Uh, chapter four, a doubtful welcome. Mart gives the girls a lecture about Arizona desert fauna. Uncle Monty meets them at the airport. He seems upset and speaks privately to Mr. Lynch and Di. And that is the entire chapter. (laughs) So let's move on to chapter five. (laughs) Seriously, that that is all that happens. Yes, I have many squaws underlined. Yeah. He calls them my dear squaws. That's how the chapter begins. He calls them timid squaws. He says, each of you squaws. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's the first (laughs) sentence? My dear squaws, Mart began. Ah, My dear females. Oh, they did change some of them. (laughs) 
but not all of them. Wait, give me another one. <laughs> give me another squat. Another one. Okay, the next page, page 52. Mm-hmm. Kind of near the top, Mark spoke again quite loudly. And in the middle of that paragraph, he says, however, I must assure you timid squaws Ladies. that the centipede will not attack unless cornered and forced to defend himself. I have ladies. Okay. Then on page, the next page 53, they're talking about lizards. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mart nodded. I shall tame one for you along with the horned toad. Each of you squaws may expect to find a pet in the toe of your stocking. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop. (laughs) Okay. Mine says, I shall tame one for you along with the horned toad, which is another friendly little lizard. Uh Uh-huh. Each I of just, you, yes, you yes, skipped yes. that part, right? I just, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was like, whoa, this is Sorry. really different. Yeah. I was just trying to skip to the squaw part. Oh, yeah. Leaving out. Okay. Just skip the first line. Okay. Each of you females may expect to find a pet in the toe of your stocking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice. That's a squaw. That one That's got. So did they miss the other one on the airplane with Babs there? Yeah. Okay. Well. Then uh, um, one more on page 54, which is kind of in the middle in the paragraph that starts, not me, Mart interrupted firmly. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of the last sentence in that paragraph, he Mm -hmm. says, you squaws might well emulate them and thus produce a succulent Mm -hmm. Indian dish on one of our forthcoming desert picnics. Nope. Nope. You females. (laughs) It doesn't make it. Weird, like like you girls. Like, yeah, I think you'd say like you females, you gals, you girls, you yeah. Weird. Okay. The pretty Apache stewardess began to serve lunch. Okay. There, I. There is so much wrong with this paragraph. You're not a true Apache woman, Mark groaned. If this or, were or squaw in mine, he says squaw to her. To Babs? He literally says, you're not a true Apache squaw. No, she's not, because she's a woman. <laughs> Mark groaned, if this were a wiki up or Hogan, the women folk would have to wait to eat until we men folk were through. And then she says, afraid not, in this big flying wigwam, it's ladies first. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> mine does not say that it's yours say yours is earlier than mine mm-hmm. how <gasps> what how like h-o-w yeah. like the racist uh-huh how um, yes ah this <laughs> ah <laughs> it gets it gets worse okay how in this heap big flying wigwam <laughs> it's ladies first <laughs> what does heap mean in under these circumstances? Because there's an there was another spot. I think it was in the last book, heap or maybe it's in big, this book like where like, it was like heap something like big, bit really, really big heap, big flying wigwam. And that's why they changed it just to big flying wigwam. That's not the problem with the sentence. Is not is <laughs> not fixing heap with big. It's it's not saying wigwam. And how the least. Well, yeah, know. that's already been fixed. Thank God, that's already been fixed in mine. But and then does she end that paragraph with saying one can do a great deal of tasting before one produces the meal ready for heap big braves. <laughs> 
in mine, they just took keep out. It just says four big braves. And then Mark collapsed, his face flaming. I never thought about that angle, he admitted gruffly. The average squaw probably had already consumed a full meal before she yelled, come and get it. snap. He's just squawing all over. Mine says the average Indian woman. (laughs) He sounds so, he sounds so PC. (laughs) Either he's totally off the wall (laughs) or he's totally PC. It's not, there's no in between with Mark. Oh boy. Okay. Okay. I don't even want to know the next paragraph. So maybe we should just move on because. Are there squaws um, or no? No, mine oh. is very so nice. This is Navajo women. Yeah. Oh, that's because Trixie's talking. Trixie's talking. Oh, so maybe it's a Mart thing. Maybe that's part of his character. That's interesting. That he just can't. Does anyone else say squaw. squaw besides him? No, no one else talks. <laughs> I don't think Brian says more than two <laughs> sentences in this entire book. <laughs> But I mean, in general, it seems like it's always been Mart. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's, is he supposed to be racist? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, okay. And then do you have, do you have Babs saying Trixie is right? Navajo women are greatly respected by their men at the squaw dances. Yes. So she's saying it. She's using it. But she's using it in the sense of like a real thing. There's a thing. Yeah, like a squad dance. dance. Like it's a mod or it's a adjective, like the type of dance. Yeah. Right. Like a square dance. It's a squad dance. So and she's using it. So it's okay. Right. Uh, And then Babs lets them know that. Uh, when a widowed grandmother becomes aged, a healthy young boy or girl is given to her. Yes. <laughs> so that she will receive proper, <laughs> proper care and affection. I wonder how that's decided. <laughs> I, picture like the hung- I picture like the beginning of the Hunger Games. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pulling a name out of a hat. Susan, you will be going to live with this widowed grandmother and take care of her until she dies. Because you are healthy and you will be affectionate (laughs) until she joins her ancestors, which is a very nice way of saying dies. Yes, it is. They're there. They made it. They're there. Mr. Wilson's upset, which is interesting. Well, I guess they, I guess when they refer to him, they call him Uncle Monty, but then he's Mr. Wilson. Yeah, it's not really clear. No. Because Trixie is saying to Honey, did you notice how worried Mr. Wilson seems? But then other times they use Okay, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Let's move on to five. Oh, Trixie solves a problem. Does she? Does she? Does she? She does, and I don't think everyone's happy about it. On the drive to the ranch, they find out that the Orlandos, the Mexican family that works for Uncle Monty, have suddenly left without warning due to a family emergency. The only one left is the cook, Maria, who is the Orlando's daughter-in-law and has a, I wrote three-year-old son, but (laughs) (laughs) just the way he acts. The way he acts. (laughs) You're like, how old was he? (sighs) Six-year-old. I think he's six. Okay. The ranch is. is booked and there's no time to hire new staff. There's also a Navajo girl named Rosita who is just hired to help. 
Trixie volunteers the BWGs to take over and work at the ranch during their stay. The boys will cook and wait tables. The girls will do housekeeping tasks and they will get paid $200 a week. Do you want the inflation calculation now or do you want me to wait? Whenever you want to drop that in, please. (laughs) I'll do it now so we can anticipate what it means. Okay, so they're going to get paid $200 a week, which is $400 for the two weeks they'll be working. Okay. Inflation calculation. $400 Four hundred dollars in 1950 is the equivalent of four thousand four hundred and twenty nine dollars and forty two cents in twenty twenty, which twenty one. Nice. Bob White will make sixty six dollars and sixty six cents, or seven hundred and thirty eight dollars and twenty two cents. Not bad. I would do it for that. I think I would too. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. (laughs) Well, and they were, he was paying a whole family that, and now he's paying these six people there. So if you think of it that way, maybe it's not as much money as one would think. Okay. Do we know how many people left? I'm not sure. It sounds like maybe six or seven. I don't think it's that many because they're able to do the whole thing. The senora Um, is my house. Keeper. Her husband is my major domo, which is the chief steward of a large household. Their sons and daughters serve as waiters, waitresses, and maids. Okay, so we don't know. We don't know. One of them's the drink boy. (laughs) The drink man. And the drink boy, right. (laughs) So at least two of each because waiters, it's all plural. Yeah, so a lot. Okay, so they get into the suburban which I, I found out later, because remember I was just to talk about the station wagon and how could they fit so many people in it. Yes. But they do call it a suburban later, which has a row of back seats. So three rows? Yes, three rows of seats. Okay, Maria stays. Maria is... The cook. Their daughter-in-law, but her husband has died. died. Is that yes. correct? And that she has her in PD yes. sticking around. Yeah. So she didn't have to go with because her husband's has died. And he was the Orlando. He was the Orlando, but PD's on Orlando, which becomes a problem. Sure. Sure. Okay. And then they've got their asthma sufferers. Mm-hmm. Okay. And okay. I, I'm going to bring this up now because I did write notes on this. What's that? <laughs> Yeah, they ran away. It's on the asthma sufferers. Oh, here it is over with the lunatic asylum. Okay. Because it makes it sound like these people are in critical condition. The asthma sufferers. The asthmatics. That are there for eight months out of the year. Yeah. And you know, I have very severe asthma. So I did a little research on asthma in the 1950s. Okay. Okay, these are the treatments. Asthmatic cigarettes. I don't know what they are. (laughs) It doesn't sound healthy. Pocket nebulizers with a hand squeeze bulb that you have to squeeze for 15 to 30 minutes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, In 1955, they got the metered dose inhalers, which are the control inhalers. And in 1957, the Medi inhaler, which is the rescue inhaler. Okay. Arizona ranks 15th in the best states for asthma. Okay. That's not 
as high as most people think. I think most well, people think that's the best place. Yeah. What is? Uh, I don't know. I just looked at Arizona. It's like 15th. <laughs> because allergies can be very bad in Arizona. Something about the cat. That's interesting. Because, yeah, you'd think without a lot of flora, other yes. than, you know, like the succulents and cactus and, and cacti and stuff are don't yeah. really give off any. Yeah. But, again, they have a different climate north so i don't know if they're basing it on that but i think a lot of people you think oh they're going to arizona because they have asthma when in fact maybe it's not the best place so i thought that was interesting but anyway these asthmatics so my point was there are treatments for them they're not just laying there wheezing (laughs) on oxygen but they take it so i mean they have their own nurse that takes care of them. They and an assistant who's a practical nurse. Yeah. Do they get to even go out? Do they just live there? They don't go outside or anything. I just, it, it sounded like they were in a hospital. I know. And how many are there? Doesn't say. I, I never got a real picture in my head of how big this place was, how many rooms there were, how many guests there were. No, they had no. family cabins. They, yeah, there wasn't very much description of the actual place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they clean the rooms, (laughs) so they don't have to worry about the rooms of the asthmatics. Yeah, and eight months is a long time. Yeah, anyway, just leaving this hot summer. Has your asthma been better that now for the last year that you don't go outside? Well, no, because I'm allergic to mold, Mm. and that's inside the house, and it gets in the it's the molds in the dust, the dust gets in the dog hair, the dog mm. hair in the bed and the room and all of that. So it's actually not that great. I would like to say yes, but I guess my whole point was there are medications to treat these people. It's not like asthma is, you know, polio in the 1950s. 50s. Also 50s. It's not like they have polio. It's asthma. Okay. okay. All right. So thank goodness they hired a girl this morning named Rosita, a friend of Maria's. And thank God she's as pretty as she is competent. Otherwise, what would happen? (laughs) And I'm sorry, her name is Rose who blooms in the winter. Mm. But Maria calls her Rosita, but she's very American. Yes. I'm thinking it's more than just Maria who calls her Rosita. It's strange that the Orlandos would want to miss La Posada. They describe a piñata. Yes, they said, do you boys and girls know what a piñata is? No, they chorused. <laughs> so they some of this stuff have... that's now kind of mainstream in our American culture was still not so much back then, I guess. It was not, but these are kids who have done a lot of research <laughs> into Arizona and the culture and all of that. So you would think it would have come up. And then again, here's Trixie talking, not realizing it was her. <laughs> We're not going back tomorrow. Someone said Trixie jumped. It was she who had said that. <laughs> <laughs> who said that? <laughs> who said that? She jumps. It's me. And then Trixie's dying a thousand mental deaths. That's and there was a lot. An awful of... silence that followed Uncle Monty's offer. I was like, come on, BWGs, like stop. Right. Usually they do. That's what's so weird. Usually they're like, yeah, of course we will. 
you know, that's their whole thing. Their gung-ho will help attitude. Honey is steps in with her tactful politeness. Yeah. I don't understand. I mean, they're in Arizona. What's the option? Turning around and going back home and not having a vacation at all. Yeah. That's that's the other option. That's, I guess, what they want to do is just sit home and have their normal life. I guess what they really want is to be able to stay there and not have to work. But that doesn't got seem like four grand dangling in front of them. And nobody really brought that up as an option for them. Okay. okay. Chapter six, A Dark Stranger. The BWGs aren't happy with Trixie's offer. Trixie notices that Rosita isn't wearing any jewelry, even though she is a Navajo. Something is mysterious. Di tells Trixie and Honey they'll need to start work right away. Uncle Monty told Di that before the Orlandos left, a strange Mexican man visited their cabin. He and Mr. Orlando were shouting in Spanish. Trixie is concerned that he may come back and threaten Maria. Do you think Uncle Monty straight up asked Maria to tell him where the Orlandos went? Doesn't sound like it. You didn't go. Where did they go? She does know. (laughs) Yeah. You would think that that would be a no-brainer. Jim actually stands up for Trixie. He says to Brian, if you'd stop complaining and think about it, you'd find that the idea grows on you. The girls will have to do all the dirty work because it's a known fact that we boys are no good at dusting and bed making. Then Mart says, have you forgotten the dishes? Mountains of them after every meal. And Jim says, squaws work. Oh, Jim, 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 Jim. Jim. Does he say that in yours too? No, he's evolved. He says women's work. Women's work. (laughs) So much better. I mean, it is better, but. so evolved for 1977. It's better than squaws work. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in you, Jim. Okay. Jim, we thought it was only Mart. Right. That blows um, my whole theory out the window. <laughs> so Rose, who blooms in the winter, comes in. Yeah, Tag. Greetings, she says. I think it's important that we find out that Rosita's father is a famous silversmith and her mother makes exquisite jewelry. Yeah. Because that seems to be like what's mysterious about her not having jewelry on. Yes, if, but if also that she had learned that all Navajos love to decorate themselves with jewelry. Mm-hmm. So there's two reasons it's mysterious. They go to their rooms. Do you understand now this it's a ill wind that blows nobody good? I looked it up again. <laughs> we, I did not understand it the first time around. And Lisa yes. and I spent many a minutes trying her with her trying yes, to uh, a very long time trying to unpack that word for me or the, that phrase I, for me. I did look it up again and it just I I wrote down a misfortune usually benefits somebody. And that okay. makes sense to me. I wrote down wind wasn't ill because she was able to get a job when the Orlando's left. That's how I read it. That there can be a wind. <laughs> <laughs> but there can be a wind that where there is no good for everybody. But in this situation, it wasn't an ill wind because she was able to get a job. It's a very convoluted sentence. <laughs> it's an ill wind. Does that mean like, like, well, rare? it's in proper English. <laughs> like, so it's it's rare. Not... like, is it is an ill wind rare? Like, it's rare that a wind, that a wind blow blows that, that blows nobody, nobody good. Eat. Yeah. I think it's that it's an ill wind, like it's a bad wind 
if nobody gets any good out of it. But that can happen. But in this case, it didn't happen because she was able to get a job when the Orlandos left. Okay. It's making less and less sense to me. So <laughs> All right, perhaps we should just move on. <laughs> to me, if, someone can, is, if someone has a way to explain it to me, sense. is it pretend like I'm six? <laughs> I don't <laughs> understand. Thought I was. I wrote it out for you specifically. <laughs> All right. I'm turning the page on that. Di says there is something mysterious going on, but I'm not going to tell you right now. There's no time. <laughs> it could have taken two seconds in the amount yeah, of time she said. There's while not they're walking to the dining room, she could tell sure. her. There were, Did they just like stop talking? If there's no time to tell you, let's go. I don't. Silence. I thought it was interesting that Rosita met them and it looks like there's so many tables that it would be hard to get around them. And she says, the paths between the tables look impossible until you get used to them. Like she showed up that morning. Right. And now it's dinner time. So she. Perhaps she's been a waitress someplace else. Maybe. Okay. Immediately she can pick out between the three girls that honey is the (laughs) one who should be pouring water with the glasses because apparently she can already tell Trixie's too clumsy or sturdy looking standing there i don't and, know and die too she die too three of them yep. mart figured out a way to make what he calls a mexican sandwich using their tortillas instead of rolls and the frioles as a filling uh like a burrito <laughs> no <laughs> mart the- figured it out mart invented the burrito <laughs> they make it sound like it but they don't know what tortillas are yet they made tamales at camp and they make them all the time now at home on our yeah. outdoor grill. And mom's even makes them now. Okay. Well. Okay. Chapter seven. Trixie is suspicious. I think that there is a chapter titled Trixie is suspicious in every single one of these books. I think they could just name every chapter that. That's be fine. Good. Okay. The girls go to the dining room and watch as the boys serve dinner. Rosita again mentioned she has no jewelry with sadness. She has dropped out of high school and can't go back. Mart and the girls meet Lionel Stetson, or Tenny, the resident cowboy. He tells them Foreman Howie is an ogre, (laughs) basically an ogre. Okay, so it's still Monday, right? Yeah. Do you keep track of the days in this book still? Or Mm -hmm. it's, wait a sec. Yeah. It's still the day they are. Yeah, a lot has happened this day. It's been a long day. They haven't even made dinner yet. Well, and I wrote down they arrived after dark because mm-hmm. it was dark when they drove home. Mm-hmm. They unpacked. They took a tour. They learned how to serve. Well, the boys learned how to serve. And they also cooked dinner all before dinner time which apparently is what like eight o'clock did they say i guess it's late that's a lot they they have a lot going on and they've already learned all of this information about people so things are going quickly and then their uniforms the bullfighter costumes interesting the boys are wearing Mm-hmm. And then Honey doesn't want to make fun of them because if they interfere in any way, they might quit. <laughs> and then we'll have to do everything. 
And a, a little bit earlier, it says they must learn the difference the hard way. If the girls should offer to help them, they might turn in their uniforms and quit. So they can't <laughs> offer to help and they can't make fun of them. Just zip it and watch them. Zip it. Don't help. Don't laugh. Okay. And Rosita already knows that Brian is going to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. Well, he, they have been working in the kitchen. You know how quickly those things come up. <laughs> I'm sure she knows Mart's going to be the agricultural director of the school. Okay. Yes, then they talk about the jewelry. Oh, here again. Okay. So <laughs> again, I thought she actually said this where it says it was all Trixie could do to keep from crying out. Why? What happened to it? You must have been wearing it the morning when you applied for the job here. Otherwise, Uncle Monty wouldn't have mentioned it. That is a lot to be almost saying. Almost saying. Preventing yourself from saying. That looks like (laughs) it actually was said. Yes, it does. And yeah, I don't think there would have been anything wrong with Trixie actually saying that out loud. Right. No, she didn't have to cry out. But yeah, she could certainly ask the question. And then it's before she could stop herself, Trixie blurted, why did you leave school in the middle of your senior year, Rosita? Why, again, why can't she ask that? Why does she think she can't say that? Yeah, and she can't, I guess, because Honey kicked Trixie under the table and switched the subject. I know. Maybe it's Di that's always saying things about the way people look. Because again, here's Di saying, nobody as sweet and pretty as Rosita could have done anything really wrong. (laughs) She's so naive. I feel like in past books, Honey says that a lot. You know, yeah, he can't be a he can't be a thief. He's so good good looking. That was the chauffeur. Yes. And the and Mr. Maypenny. Yeah. Wait, what? She had something like that about Mr. Maypenny that he was wearing an old fashioned turtleneck, so he can't be. Oh, I thought you meant because he was handsome. (laughs) What? Wait a minute. (laughs) Just just the the overall like. Yeah, no, I get it now. Meaning. (laughs) And then. Tenny is a handsome young cowboy. I don't want to talk about the cowboy chants or anything that he says in his cowboy lingo. No, no, uh-uh. just don't want to hear him talk. Okay. Yep. The, the, and the, sounds- the boys are going for a moonlit ride, but we girls aren't going. Tenny, Trixie says bitterly. Like, <laughs> she just met him <laughs> yeah you've got to do your job the boys just worked for, for two hours right. now you have to do the dishes yeah it's your turn to work yeah tenny's lingo is really bad i, it's really I can't hard, even really hard it's to terrible. read i'm not even gonna say one of the sentences out loud it's so annoying i you know i it makes no sense it's like when uncle monty came to visit the fake uncle monty Mm -hmm. and he was talking cowboy and it Mm -hmm. just is not even how cowboys talk i (laughs) okay are you ready for chapter eight i am sobs in the night the girls meet maria the cook and wash dishes They are assigned their difficult clients whose rooms they must clean first right after breakfast. Honey has Mrs. Sherman, who is also called Lady Asterbilt, who is fat and rich. (laughs) These are their descriptions, not mine. (laughs) Trixie has Miss Jane Brown, who doesn't know how to have fun and is sulky and cross most of the time. 
Di gets Mr. Wellington, who they also call Mr. X, who rented a family cabin but stays in a room instead. He is sad and lonely. And they find out they'll fell half off from 2 in the afternoon to 7.30. Then the girls go to bed, but Trixie can't fall asleep. She hears someone crying outside on the patio. Okay, discussion. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just, this book... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> laughing at i i'm not i'm just the book i'm just laughing because i'm weary i'm weary of the book okay really what else is there besides what i said well maria meets them and when she talks there was not a trace of an accent in her voice and i wrote whew <laughs> that's true <laughs> that is a good li- i can thing. read what maria says although she does use spanish lingo Do you have that Mrs. Sherman is so fat that she is wise to take only black coffee for breakfast? (laughs) I do. (laughs) I guess you do, because mine's sadly after yours. Why do they call Mr. Wellington Mr. X? Just the mystery of it? I guess the mystery. Because it's not like right away. She doesn't tell them his real last name. I could see if they called him that for a while because they didn't know his last name. But right away, she's like, Mr. X. His name is Wellington. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, because they don't really know why he rented the family cabin and then he's right. just staying in a room. And then the asthmatics. Okay. The asthmatics are awfully fussy. So between the hours of 2 and 7.30, you will be free to do as exactly as you please. And then um, Trixie says, and poor me, I'll have practically no time for fun at all. What with having to study at least an hour a day. But that gives her a lot of time. Four and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. So then Annie says, oh, Trixie, I forgot about that angle. It's not fair. Since you do have to be tutored, you shouldn't have to do as much work as we do. Don't you agree, Di? Why now? (laughs) What? What? I don't get it. Aren't you the one, Trixie, who volunteered us for all this work? And isn't that job included in the hours that (laughs) that she was given so the washing of the dishes comes before the free time at two right right so that makes no sense that would give her another hour that would give her six and a half hours yes and and it probably would take honey and die longer to do the dishes without a third person so then that they're gonna have less time less And then, yes, and then Di is like, okay, let's arrange it this way. Trixie doesn't have to help with the lunch and dishes. She can study during that hour. And Honey's so tired, she's not even going to brush her teeth because she doesn't care if they rot out of her head one night that she doesn't brush her teeth. <laughs> and then she, Trixie, hears somebody crying. Somebody's crying on the patio. Chapter Take a deep nine. Breath. Rally it's yourself. Okay. Get your enthusiasm going it's tuesday finally a new day all of that happened mostly on one day on one day what's the name of chapter nine (laughs) it's calamity jane (laughs) the whole chapter is named that i can hardly wait to find out what that means okay the next morning trixie tells honey about the person crying who brushes it off? <laughs> of course. They put on their uniforms and go to breakfast. Trixie cleans Jane Brown's room and sees that the bed hasn't been slept in. Was she the person she heard crying? Jane comes in and tells her story to Trixie. 
that she had saved for the trip and that she was having no fun. And then she orders Trixie to leave her alone. (laughs) So that's a lot for Trixie to handle. Okay. I looked up pantaloon apparently and versus a pantalette. Where is that? Where they're getting dressed. Because Di accidentally says pantaloons, which are baggy trousers gathered at the ankles. And she meant pantalettes, which are their long underpants that have frill at the bottom of each leg. It was curious when they're talking about that, that Di says, I've just about decided to wear mine over my jeans. I mean, my Levi's. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> what <Seriously>? now? <laughs> I don't have Levi's in my book. Ah, yeah. I've just got let's see to, to do. I've just about decided to wear mine right over my blue jeans. Ah. And then she pirouettes. I was wondering what she why you she, know why that's that whole them taking out all the name brand stuff like mm. they took out Coke to avoid copyright problems right which I guess probably weren't that big of an issue before 1950. Yeah, I found it interesting that she corrects herself when she says jeans. And right. Like, I mean, my <laughs> Levi's. Yeah, that is weird. Instead of just saying right over my Levi's. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. They get yelled at for giggling by the... Yes. By the grumpy nurse, Gerard. Because they're disturbing the asthmatics, to which I responded, they just have asthma. (laughs) They don't sleep well, and they need this hour's rest. Then they should go home because they came to Arizona so they could breathe. And clearly it's not working. And they're uh, they're living in a dude ranch where people are going to be in rooms talking. And there's dust everywhere. That makes you cough. (laughs) Let's see. And then they decide to call their difficult guests dgs (laughs) who decided that i don't i mean trixie's saying it but i don't know if it was mentioned before i think they were called difficult guests before but now trixie shortened it to dgs i mean i feel like i said all of this in my little blurby thing so about miss jane brown She saved and saved. It was funny how Jane is almost crying again and she's opening up to Trixie and then she's and Trixie's like, why aren't you having a good time? And all of a sudden she's like, never mind, just go away and leave me alone. (laughs) Go away. Right. I thought that that was. Yeah. Yeah. I thought because she was trying to. Yeah, she was. She was. She was kind of saying. It was me crying on the patio. Yeah. And, and she's she like, oh, don't cry. Why aren't her. you having a good time? And yeah. Yeah. she wishes that Honey was there instead because she's so tactful. And I was like, right. She was being We're fine. Being I didn't fine. think she was being not untaxedful. No, I thought she did good. The unhappy guest was certainly another mystery. Although they keep bringing up the fact that there's all these mysteries. I really don't find this book very mysterious. <laughs> They're trying hard to make them mysteries but i feel like i've solved them all already (laughs) (laughs) pd's daymare chapter 10 now we learn about pd thank goodness there's another six-year-old boy chapter 10 pd's daymare trixie sees pd playing outside he tells trixie he's going to run away to find his granddaddy who is in a cave somewhere Trixie tells Maria Petey is planning to run away. She tells Trixie that Petey makes things up and not to worry. 
La Posada is that night, and the girls need to convince their DGs, difficult guests, to attend. Or Uncle Monty and Rosita can't go because they have to stay behind and feed the difficult guests. Petey Uh, starts talking about the family, and Maria hurries him out of the kitchen. Don't talk about it, Petey. Okay, so this is all to confuse the reader, basically. Because I remember the first time that I read this, I was like, what the heck is this little boy talking about? It makes no sense, which it doesn't, unless you no. know what right. happens later. And Which you're not um, supposed to, you're right. You're not supposed to. He, he basically comes up with this very dramatic story about where the Orlandos are. Yeah. In yours, when Honey is talking about getting caught by Lady Astorbilt, Does she say, honestly, she looks so funny in Levi's that I could hardly keep from laughing at her. She's much too fat to wear them. And she's going to look like a fool if she appears in that costume at the square dance tomorrow night. Mm, uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Nope. Okay. Let me start at the beginning of that paragraph. Maybe we should switch, Honey said. I got caught by Lady Astorbelt before I'd finished tidying her room. And honestly, she looked so funny tottering around in high-heeled cowboy boots that I could hardly keep from laughing at her. She's going to look very inappropriate if she appears in them (laughs) in blue jeans at the square dance tomorrow night. That's very different. What would you wear to a square dance? If not cowboy boots and blue jeans, I guess a little checkered square dance outfit. Well, Trixie says she wants to wear jeans. And then Honey says, no, we're going to wear our cotton new cotton dresses with the full skirts. I'm kind of glad they, they took that out. <laughs> yeah. They didn't again, change it to anything much better, but at least they're not saying like, no, she's, so fat, she, she's going to look like a fool wearing jeans. Right. And they put it something in there that I guess maybe it's because the cowboy boots are high heeled. They have high heels. And she's tottering around. She can't walk in heels. I guess. I mean, cowboy boots don't aren't stilettos. They're. <laughs> I mean, a high heel on a cowboy boot would be like what an inch and a half, maybe. Rixie was the same thing when she got her new boots from Peekskill. They are, they are, do take getting used to walking in, but they're not like high heels where you have to learn to walk. Oh, okay. Oh, good. Here's some squaw stuff. (laughs) And it's squaw in mine. So I'm assuming it's in yours because Mart, of course, in his waiter uniform came in through the swinging door then. A fine thing he greeted the girl sourly. He big braves doing squaw's work. Yeah. And it's interesting because they took heap out twice in yours earlier when they were on the plane. (laughs) And squaw. Oh, why? I I just I want to know. It's so frustrating. It's just not something that it, there should be a question about. I don't understand it. It's either it's racist or it's not racist, but it's not racist sometimes and, and not yeah, others. I mean, like, did the editors think there's just too many? Let's take some out. It's just not. <laughs> <laughs> so we only offend people half as much as we would. Littered with it. It's just in there, here and there. I thought it was interesting that Trixie had questioned herself of whether or not she should tell Maria mm-hmm. that Petey plan- was planning on running away. If she did, that would make her a great big tattletale. Like, no, you have <laughs> a yeah. six-year-old boy might run away off into the desert. You should tell his mother that he said that. It took her over a page of thinking whether she should 
or where we have to read whether it's a good idea <laughs> to tell someone that their six-year-old is going to run away. Into the desert at night. Yeah, I thought it was pretty much a no-brainer. I thought so, too. But when she tells her, Maria says, pay no attention. He just makes up stories. This is why kids get into trouble. People don't believe kids. Okay, then they have to get their DGs to go to La Posada so everyone can go. And Petey doesn't want to eat rice. Thank goodness he doesn't speak well either, just in case we were missing out on mm. six-year-old boy talk. <laughs> I wanted him to just speak in Spanish. <laughs> just Spanish. Yeah. He should be probably just speaking Spanish. Yes. I think so. I mean, it sounds like he spent a lot of time around his relatives. He is in school, but he hasn't been in school very long to be influenced. Yeah. Right. And then this is the chapter where I have something that in an earlier version was something different than mine. Oh. Which is that PD says he wishes he was with eating skeletons with his granddaddy. And then Mart says, do my old ears deceive me? Mart finally asked, did he say something about eating skeletons? And I have that, that in the 1965 version, Mart said, did that infant say something about eating skeletons? (laughs) I don't know how we figured that out. Because the last time we did this, I was reading the 1965. Yep. Okay. So that explains why we're coming across so many changes this time that we hadn't talked about before. Right. Because now you've got a a a later version. A different. Ah, these edits are so interesting. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. A little nuts. Honey's begging Trixie to tell the Bob Whites what Petey told her. And she slowly and carefully repeated as much as she could remember. Well, yeah, because there was a lot of stuff that didn't make any sense. Right. And then she said, I don't think he imagines all those things. They're there or something almost as horrible wherever the Orlandos have gone. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And I think think that's probably a good place to stop i think you're right a little cliffhanger for people Mm -hmm. and we're just a little over halfway through so we can finish this up next time okay there's something i want to bring up from last time because we talked about what a fraternity key was oh yeah Honey says to Trixie that Jim will definitely give her his fraternity key. So I found out that basically it's a piece of jewelry that looks kind of like a key. Mm -hmm. And it has the fraternity letters on it. Okay. And you can either wear it on a chain like a necklace or you can pin it. Okay. So it's kind of the same thing as a fraternity getting in. Getting pinned or... Yeah, but they call it a key. So it's similar. Ah. So while I was looking that, I found out an article that's called Seven Characteristics of Going Steady. Okay. In the 19, this is the 1950s. The article is by Chris Wolf. And the, the quotes are from Beth Bailey's book called From Front Porch to Back Seat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so here we go. Okay. <laughs> Money became scarce during the Great Depression. Men became scarce during World War II. Before the war, when discussions of courtship centered around dating and popularity, marriage had few cheerleaders. However, something shifted in the 1950s. People started getting married younger. 
Previously, the dating game was about who could date the most people, like Betsy Tacey. <laughs> but in the 1950s, the popular kids latched onto this idea of commitment. Playing the field and playboy became negative terms. At its center was a desire for security in the form of going steady. Okay, we no longer use going steady in dating language today, but it was the prevalent form of dating in the 1950s. And these are the characteristics of going steady. Okay, number one is a visible token. A guy gave his girlfriend a visible token, such as a class ring, letter sweater, etc. Or they exchanged identical tokens, often gold or silver friendship rings worn on the third finger of the left hand when they were ready to go steady. The purpose was to publicly declare their relationship and commitment. Oh, other steadies spelled out their names on the bumpers of their boyfriend's car. Some girls would wear a puppy love anklet. When she wore it on her left ankle, it meant she was committed. When she wore it on her right ankle, she indicated she was single and ready to go steady. <laughs> Is that um, ser- like a... Uh, anklet like a sock or an anklet like a ankle bracelet i don't know i don't either but i'm available that's kind of gross i don't know (laughs) (laughs) why don't you look up puppy love anklet and see what we can find i will it's in quotes and capitalized so it's a specific thing now it's like a little anklet like a bracelet that you just wear around the ankle that's what I was wondering. Yeah. I mean, it's a thing now, so I'm not coming up with like... I wouldn't call that an anklet, though. I would call that a ankle bracelet, right? Let's see. Puppy love anklet 1950s. A dog collar. <laughs> <laughs> this just gets worse and worse. <laughs> 1953's big teenage fad was wearing a dog collar on your ankle. Worn on the left ankle indicates that its wearer is in love and going steady. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. That's... I have a picture. Oh, God. <laughs> Can you see it? Or is it... Uh, it's kind of glary. Oh, yeah. Oh. Right, o- right over their socks. They are... Let's see. Right ankle. They're indicating that they, they're single and ready to go steady. How can you be single and ready to go steady? There's something... <laughs> isn't dating... I mean... Don't you have to meet the person in between? One would think. What do they wear in between time? Like when they're dating someone. Okay. Wow. <laughs> That's not what I saw that meaning. Okay. Let's go on. Maybe there's some more interesting things. Huh. I'm going to save this picture. Yes. Because it's actually five girls and some of them have that on the other ankle. I think girls should just start doing that again. So I'm going to post a picture of the puppy love anklet style on our Facebook page. So people can see what it looks like to wear one and indicate that you're either single and ready to go steady or you're committed. Okay. It's so funny. Back in the days before Claire's, it wasn't easy for a teenager to find contemporary accessories at an affordable price. We had to improvise (laughs) by making cheap things fashionable. Like a dog collar. (laughs) Like a dog collar. Fluffy died. Can I use the collar to wear it around my ankle for jewelry? Okay. Some of these traditions continue today. A fraternity gentleman might pin. That's that's kind of a interesting combination. A fraternity gentleman might pin his girlfriend in a pinning ceremony. 
it symbolizes that he values his girlfriend more than his house. <laughs> sure it does. Wow. Dissing the frat bros. This symbolizes a high form of commitment, and some might see it as a pre-engagement gesture. This was written in... T- when was this book written? I don't know the article's from 2016, but this book... That's crazy, right? I got to look up the date of this book. Also kind of want to read the book now. Okay. (laughs) So apparently that's a pre-engagement gesture. Required dates. Netflix and chill wouldn't make the cut. In steady dating, the boy had to call the girl a certain number of times a week and take her on a certain number of dates a week. He might take her to the pizza parlor, a malt shop, the record store, (laughs) But it's not a date. (laughs) The record store or the drive-in movie theater. Dates in the 1950s were planned and intentional. It wasn't appropriate for a guy to ask a girl on the day of the date. He was expected to make plans two or three days in advance. Hmm. I'm not just sitting around waiting for you to call. That's right. Mm -hmm. Exclusivity. Commitment was a key component of going steady. Neither boy nor girl could date anyone else or pay too much attention to anyone of the opposite sex. That just seems like good manners. It wasn't appropriate for another guy to hover near a girl's locker before class or for a guy to sit across from another girl at lunch. In some sense, going steady was practice for marriage. Going steady had become a sort of play marriage a mimicry of the actual marriage of their slightly older peers. Let's pretend we're married. <laughs> wear a dog collar. <laughs> You're not going to sit across from other girls at lunch. Okay, oversight. While either could go out with friends of the same sex, each must always know where the other was and what he or she was doing. Wow. Without, without tracking on a cell phone? I was going to say, <laughs> Whoa without being able to text every five minutes and ask. I guess that's where that old trust thing comes into play, right? Mm. Special events. Whether it was the sock hop prom, a sorority dance, or a fraternity formal, going steady meant a guaranteed date for special events. Sock hops became popular in the 1950s and arose because these dances would take place on basketball courts. To make sure the floors didn't get scuffed, everyone would take their shoes off. Really? I didn't know that. I didn't either. I thought it was just like because they wore socks and their <laughs> Mary Janes or whatever. Yeah. I never thought a sock hop meant you take your shoes. Huh. Weird. And you would think that they would fall a lot because <laughs> gym floors Being are slippery. And you're dancing, dancing in your socks on a gym floor. I would be. gym floor. Well, I already fall a lot, but I would have been on the floor (laughs) most of the time. Okay. Prom mirrored the commitment one might find in marriage. As John C. Spurlock wrote in Youth and Sexuality in the 20th Century United States, elaborate proms match the glamour of weddings. This is all so you get married. Going steady is basically you're getting married. Uh, sharing money. Hmm. While the boyfriend was generally expected to pay for dinner dates, going steady also began to mirror commitment found in a marriage. Both guy and girl had a shared concern with finances and money. 
prom informals could be expensive events, and the girl had to be willing to help her boyfriend save up for the event by budgeting their money, even if it meant sitting home together. Hmm. Okay, intimacy. If the date didn't involve sitting home together, private time together consisted of parking on a less trafficked road, the drive-in movie theater, or the overlook. Going steady implied physical intimacy, either more necking or going further. Hmm. <laughs> That's it. That was interesting. The dog collar thing, I didn't have any idea about, obviously. Sock hop. Sock Yeah. You learn a lot doing this. I guess it all leads, It all stems from reading Trixie Bell then, doesn't it? It does. We wouldn't have known any of that. Nope. Well, that's it. I think, unless you have anything to add, I join. Okay. Join us next week for part two of The Mystery in Arizona. Until then. Be and. Be and.